0: Hey y'all welcome to Hyper Real Film Club presents Texas Film in Focus. I'm your host Samantha Ray Lopez and we are at episode nine. That means I've created nine episodes as part of this 12-part podcast and it has been a delight. If you follow me on Instagram I recently posted a video as I was editing last week's episode and I just had this moment of kind of gratitude overwhelm. I don't know what else to call it, but we'll call it that. Um, And just in meeting all of these folks and having really meaningful conversations and learning about people and what kind of work they're doing in the filmmaking community and the industry at large, I've just become super inspired and kind of reminded of humanity and storytelling at its core, and just how important it is to our culture and society in general. So that's been a really cool experience, and being able to revisit all of those interviews and pull out points that really resonated with me and fit under a specific topic, that's been quite the joy. And one of the great things about this project is being able to connect with all of these people and being able to connect with you as an audience. So just continuing these conversations. So thank you to everybody who has sent me feedback directly or is chatting with me on Instagram. That's definitely what's intended here. So my DMs are open for you, unless you're trying to sell me a product or, you know, want me to become some influencer for your brand. No, those are immediately blocked. And I'm sure those of you that are on Instagram frequently know what kind of solicitations I'm talking about. But yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, last week I got a bit personal with a personal story, and that was actually part of a storytelling event. So I have the privilege of working for a really great company that creates spaces that allows for its employees to be able to tell their stories as they continue the process of, um, I guess, unlearning problematic tendencies, also uplifting voices, and prioritizing allyship. So the other half I will share with you today, and um, and I think it's kind of perfect because it fits with the story that I'm trying to tell in this episode in terms of theme, so I feel like I had to. So um, I'll share my story, and then we'll get into interviews, and then again, we won't have a lightning round because I'm going to be doing a little something special on Instagram, so if you're not already following me, really, you should be, but my Instagram handle is S. Ray Lopez and that's S-R-A-E-L-O-P-E-Z and you'll hear it again at the end of the episode as I do at the end of every episode and I'll just be highlighting women and non-binary people in the filmmaking space and really just giving you the opportunity to quickly follow them and follow their work support their work and find ways in which you can get involved in some of these things so yeah, this week you've actually got a ton of resources. You've got the show notes that we're putting together. You've got the Instagram story fun that's coming. So lots of people to follow, lots of things to keep on your radar. So you're welcome. Uh Yeah, so let's get into it. Let's go back in time to my film school days. I can't remember what class this was in, and honestly, it really doesn't matter. But one of the instructors that we all admired invited a guest speaker to the class. The guest speaker spoke about the importance of networking and how starting groups at school could be a really great way of doing that. After class, I approached the instructor who was chatting with the guest speaker, and I asked if there were any groups that were just for women. He looked at me over his shoulder, scoffed, and said, Nah, people try that all the time, but it never sticks. It's like no one cares after a while. That one stung. I care. And there have to be other people who care. But I can totally see that after being left out and othered for a period of time, it weighs on you. That was pretty discouraging. A few months later, an opportunity arose for me to join the board of Women in Film and Television Florida as a student member. This allowed me to sit in on board meetings that were held on the Universal Studios lot and meet women who had been in the industry for years It was during those meetings and seeing that dynamic among these women that I truly saw the value in a community made up of women and how important advocacy is for representation on screen and behind the camera. After graduation, I moved to Austin and worked in production for a few years. I definitely ran into the same very male, very white environment, but this time I was armed with the wherewithal to seek out other women and build community and starting and joining groups that filled that need. Today, I'm bringing you several women who are leading organizations and productions focused on filling gaps left by years of inequality caused by misogyny and sexism in the film world. So let's revisit the conversation we started with Gail Cronauer last week.
1: So there are these little pockets, you know, uh, these little seedlings of change and progress that I think are happening. Uh, in terms of women in film Dallas, um i've been involved with the organization i'm now vice president but i've been involved with the organization on and off for decades they've been around over 30 years so um when i first learned of the organization i was like oh my god film i mean film to me was still like hollywood you know uh, and for me even as an actor in training i mean uh, you you just didn't get to go make movies. I mean, that was for people who were out there that if you're going to be an actor, you're going to be slogging it out on stage. I mean, that was my sense of it. And maybe a few people made that transition, but for most of us, that wasn't going to be the way uh, the road went. And um, so when I found out about women in film and I'd done a few projects, it was like, I'd love to get involved, but... The women who were running the organization seemed to me to be uh, established professionals. And at the time, um, I think it was okay, these are women who are um, doing this, whether they were writing or directing or producing, and they're at a certain level. And in order to join the organization, you have to be sponsored by someone, oh my God, and have so many years in the industry. And uh, so I was pleasantly surprised when I was invited to join the organization. Well, I'm in and out of it because of teaching and life and kids and whatever. And uh, now I think the organization is much more about um, working to build the future of the industry and women's opportunities and advancement in the industry. So we've really been reaching out to young, right out of college, or if not young women who are uh, going, hey, I'm a 40, 50 year old woman who's had a career and raised my kids and I've got something I want to say and I can do it with video. I can do it with film. I can do it with podcasts. I can do it with radio. So uh, the complexion of women in film literally is really changing and that's amazingly exciting that we have so many different kinds of women different voices different experiences um coming into our ranks now this best gals workshop that we did last weekend it was it was great there were a lot of people who women who were already producing their own work and they Needed practical skill. They had a lot of passion. They had a lot of ideas, didn't have a lot of technical know-how or experience. And this was also um plugging them in to people who could be mentors for them. So that was great,
0: so over the time that you've been involved with women in film, have you seen these kinds of connections kind of blossom into anything? And you know, what's been your experience in in witnessing that?
1: Right. Well, this is interesting to me because, Um, the women who in the past have tended to uh, gravitate toward the organization have been women who are screenwriters, directors, producers. Um, That what we might call the auxiliary professions, uh, women who are in uh, uh, wardrobe, costume design, women who are uh, now grips, who are in makeup, who are actors, who are generating work, but that's changing because so many women these days are like, hey man, I'm a hyphenate. I like to believe that um, that networking and mentoring is... Um, Increasing in terms of the numbers and depths of opportunities. Um, That word mentor has become much more visible, much more heard, I think, in our culture, in the women in film Dallas, in the filmmaking culture. Um, It's been going on for years, but it's often been. Women being mentored, if they were fortunate enough, by men or it's been men mentoring men uh, and women oftentimes having to find their own way (laughs) to get to where they are.
0: For those of you wondering, there are several women in film and television chapters around the world. Many of them sit under the WIFT international umbrella and the American chapters are usually affiliated with WIFT U.S. in some way. In Texas, there are Houston, Dallas, and Austin chapters, and today I found out that there's a San Antonio chapter recently launched, so that's pretty cool. Um, it'd be great to have WIFT chapters in El Paso and RGV2, right? So if anyone out there listening in those regions are interested in spinning up a chapter of WIFT, I'm sure WIFT US might be able to point you in the right direction. Also, now is probably a good time for a shameless plug. I was the co-producer and co-host for the Wift Austin podcast that's focused on women in the industry. So if you're interested in hearing more in-depth interviews, you can check out the show notes or my bio and find the show details there. Wift Dallas also hosts a monthly podcast, so check that one out, too. We got another former guest on this week's episode, and that's Stephanie St. Sanchez from QFest. Not only is she programming shorts for the Houston-based festival, she has created a showcase on her own called Señorita Cinema. She'll talk about her inspiration to create this Latina-centered space for filmmakers and why it's so important to her as an artist to have this sense of community.
1: I
2: came across something called uh, BH Life, which stands for the Boyle Heights uh, Latina Independent Film Extravaganza. And it was founded by uh, Real Women Have Curves, the woman who uh, did Real Women Have Curves, Josefina Lopez. And this was in Boyle Heights in Los Angeles. But, uh, so I got in, right? And it was, I mean, it was a big thrill. And I decided, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm serious about this, right? So I'm gonna get my cash money together. I'm gonna fly out to Los Angeles to be in this big old film festival. And little did I know, I get there and it's just, I don't wanna say it's just, it's so small, you know? And it's, I mean, there's nobody famous really, but it was incredible. The the sense of community that was there, all the people that were down for this cause and all the Latinas that were there, all the Latina filmmakers that were there. As As a woman filmmaker, or even as a Latina, you know, double, you know, double dipping right there, Whenever you're in a room full of men filmmakers, they act like you're stupid. They act like you don't know, you know, what a B and C is, or you know, or a, a female to male connector. Like you don't speak their language. So, you know, to be able to talk shop with these women who had had this, you know, their own challenges and their own adventures to get to where they were and their inspirations. So went there, had this, had the best time ever got this this you know celebrated you know as like as someone that uh, hey you did something man you know all these women you know went out and they you know started doing their things in all these parts of the world and stuff and I came back to Houston feeling real good and um because I'm an artist I guess I kind of straddled this like world of like making movies but then making installation pieces you know everything you know paintings, drawings, cartoons, just creative stuff in general. Um, so I got a um, um, a residency, a studio residency at the Longdale Arts Center. And one of the components was, is that you had to do a presentation at the end of your, 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 uh, your stint there. And I was like, well, I don't really want to teach film. I can't, I don't want to do a presentation on how to make a movie in like an hour and a half. That's, you know, and my body of work wasn't, you know, that was the project that I had already done, so you already got to see that. So I, I proposed to do, to bring some of the the film, make the films from BH Life to Houston, and to spotlight that and to talk about that. So next thing I know, you know, two weeks later, the first Senorita Cinema happened at the Londo Arts Center on the second floor, with about 25 people. You know, and it's and that's where it started, and we started doing it ever since then, and. Um, It just took off. And what happens with, um, unfortunately, that I've learned this myself, is that um, a lot of the reasons that uh, Latina filmmakers kind of, they drop off because they have families. They start having, they get married and they start having kids. And it's really hard to balance all those things. And so you disappear sometimes, you know, and it's sad uh, because it doesn't really happen to men a lot. You know, men get to continue doing their artistic endeavors and the woman traditionally will be supportive and watch the kids and then do the caretaking and all that. Um, but that's not necessarily, I mean, that's, um, you know that's, uh, what is it called? I don't wanna say historically, but um, cultural, cultural, right? That's our culture. So it's it's unfortunate because these women, you know, who had came out the gate with these strong uh, visions and ideas, you know, kind of have to like scale way back and sometimes they never come back. And now this year, uh, since COVID, you know, I know have, I have a four year old and I have a four month year old and life has just gone bananas for me. Cause I'm in the sandwich where it's like I have young children and aging parents. So I'm being really spread very, very thin. And um, the support of, you know, although it's there, it's, I'm just, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, you know? So they're starting up BH Life again because Josefina Lopez's kids are finally graduating high school. And so she's like, it's fine. yeah, so she's like, okay, let's get the gang back together. And they're going to sit there. They're in meetings right now. And so BH Life supposedly is going to be back. So this year I'm going to, uh, we've talked about it. And I'm going to send those films over there. And I'm probably going to do some judging, maybe submit something, but still be very involved. Because I believe that as Latinas, we still have to support each other. You know, look, I'm a Tejana all my heart. But I will tell you, the uh, about the, the second or the third time I went to BH Life, every time I went, I'd always bring Tejana films with me. I would tell all my friends about it, right? All my tahanas, and they would submit. And before you knew it, you know, oh shit, the tent contingency is here. So uh, that, that felt really good. So I hope that we have that, you know, this year. Because like I said, there is something to be said for being in a room full of people that know, you know, where you can be yourself and talk openly and you don't have to worry about like saying the wrong thing and someone's going to hear it and talk, you know, talk business, and then you're, you know, blacklisted for the next four years in the industry. So in a nutshell, that's, you know, that's Senorita Cinema. I'm not, I'm not going to change the name. People are like, shouldn't it be Senora? And I was like, well, let's just change it to Doña. Shoot, I'm almost there anyway. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, right?
0: (laughs) You'll always be a Senorita at heart, right? uh,
2: I read an article about uh, women artists, right? Like, where do we go after we are riot girls, right? If if our art brand was being a rebel badass, you know, at some point you evolve into other things, you know, and it could be age, it could be background, it could be history, it could just be maturity, you know, learning that you know you don't always have to be a fucking mess to make art, you know, but it does help. But where do you go from there, right? So that sandwich also of like you know the children and the parents. So, um, I think that that's a voice, you know, if you, if you're, you're, you are the, uh, the filter, right? Your mind is the filter and your experience. So life experience and the expression of that coming through you is going to be a unique thing. Um, and if someone's into it, then they are.
0: Stephanie opened up a whole new line of thinking for me when it comes to the evolution of women in film, right? When we think about the many phases that we go through, especially if raising children is a choice that's made and all of the logistics involved in that. Um, Even if you're child free by choice like myself, what does that mean when it comes to aging parents, right? There are implications for us as Latinas for generations, of gender roles that have been placed on us, right? Y'all, that could be a whole other podcast. So if anyone wants to hire me for something like that, let me know. Over in El Paso, Femme Frontera is also showcasing Latina talent specific to stories focused on the border. Angie Reza is the executive director, and she'll talk us through what kind of stuff they're doing over in El Paso.
3: We're a film organization located in El Paso, Texas, but really we serve the whole region of El Paso, uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Juarez Chihuahua on the other side of the border in Mexico. And um, it's a really fantastic opportunity to grow a community of filmmakers who are regional, but also from all over the world, specifically border regions, um, we have a lot of similarities and a lot of ways that we can come together uh, to talk about issues that are important to us that affect all of us, um, whether or not you're a part of a border. Um, these are, are issues that that affect all of us directly. So it's been an absolute joy to be able to do this kind of work. and. We are uh, also very BIPOC-oriented, women, uh, non-binary and trans. Our programs are kind of broken down in terms of um, the festival is, our our film festival called the Fenferontera Filmmakers Showcase is now in its sixth year, which is weird to say, um, (laughs) but it's really cool. Um, And that's sort of at the forefront of all that we do, but we have um, other programs that support um, the film festival. So we, we you know, uh, have our filmmaking workshops, mostly during the summer uh, for both youth and adults to create an even larger community of filmmakers and, and people able to tell their stories in this region. Um, and then we have a grants program for, again, filmmakers in this region. And then um, we take the films on tour and we take them on tour all over the country, all over the world. Um, every showcase, you know, gets its chance not to just be seen uh, in this region, but again, in places all over the world.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the history of Femme Frontera, how it started and what you kind of identified in terms of um, a need that needed to be filled at that time?
3: Yeah, so um, I had just completed a short film and I wanted to premiere it, but I thought, well it's a short and that's going to be kind of weird to premiere a 15 minute film. So um, I called friends uh, and filmmakers who I would known uh, for because I hadn't been in El Paso for very long at that point. I'm, I'm from here, but I had lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for almost 13 years. And so coming back to El Paso, um, I certainly didn't have... Um, a large filmmaking community that I knew of or was a part of, but I I did have a handful of really great, incredibly talented friends who um, I was able to call and just say, Hey, do you want to premiere? Do you have a film that you want to show? And we'll call it Fem Frontera and it'll just be, you know, all women films from the border. And luckily all of them said, yes. So it was six of us and we premiered on August 6, 2016. And it, was just the most fun i've ever had as a filmmaker and after that we're like okay we got to keep going and there were people telling us you got to take this showcase on the road um it was just by total luck that all of the films had similar topics and that they were all filmed and, and shot in this region um and so it was just such a perfect curated showcase without that being the intention. And so we did, we, we took the films on the road and, and we screened in LA and um, South Carolina and Austin and just various places around the country. Um, and then, you know, people asked if, if we ever would teach classes. And so we started teaching classes. So everything happened very organically and sprouted out of what people were asking us to do. It really wasn't this intention of, we're gonna start a film festival, it's gonna be annual, and then we're gonna run all these programs. It was just, it kind of all happened on accident. Um, And then after that, I mean, every decision that we made after that was, of course, very deliberate, but up to that point, um, and I mean, there's even still lots of things that happened to us that I feel, you know, have just sort of dropped in our lap. Um, and and that we've been so fortunate to do. Um, and, and you know, it's it's been incredible.
0: You mentioned that there are a lot of kind of similar themes. In the time that y'all have been road showing and, and more visibility on the showcase itself, have you seen those same themes pop up or has there been variety? What is the trend looked like in terms of the types of films uh, that you're showing?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, our, our mission remains the same and it has since we first started. I mean, I think that just again by chance because all of the films that we showcased our first year were so deeply rooted in the border and in uh, Latinx women specifically. I think that every year since then has, you know, we've sort of modeled it after the first one. Um, and so, a lot of the themes that you continue to see revisited are themes regarding um, gender roles, um, immigrants, LGBTQ community, um, and 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 various other issues that that we as as border people tend to come across a lot of the time. Um, but again, it's it's not specific to the border necessarily. And so, I, I believe that you know our themes have to do a lot with just social justice and with um, humanitarian issues. It's it's interesting because I, we had a staff meeting yesterday and we were just talking about the film selections that we received this year. And it's vastly different from any of the submissions that we've received in all the previous five showcases, which um, this year, it, it seems to be more, Um, there's some that that are a little bit, you know, more lighthearted, um, not necessarily going into a lot of the same issues that we've been showcasing before. It's, there's, there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of experimental films, there's some horror films. And so we, we were discussing yesterday whether or not that's going to, you know, make us turn into a different direction. Um. You know, and I I still feel like all of the films that are submitted to us in general um, have a very strong, powerful message. That's for sure. I I think that we have already shown that the films that we tend to accept do, you know? And so I think moving forward though, it, it remains to be seen how this is going to continue evolving um, and, and stretching and growing. So we'll
0: see, you know, living in El Paso, just inherently being so kind of quote unquote, far away from the other kind of production hubs within the state. What kind of challenges are you facing from the perspective of, you know, a female Latina filmmaker in El Paso and really trying to make things happen, make things happen production
3: wise. It's interesting. Um, the film community, there is a film community out here. Um, The the women filmmaker community is starting to grow quite a bit. Um, But I feel like it's still slightly dominated by men. And I would say 90% of the crew members are male. Um, And I've also heard from women who have tried to um, collaborate or Uh, work with them, um, that not all of them, but many of them are not friendly. Um, A lot of them, you know, take a lot of control, want to be in control, um, are not willing and open to work with, you know, female filmmakers, female crew members in a way that is not questioning their decisions, questioning what it is that they want to do, don't, Dominating the scene, dominating—you um, know how it is that the that the the team is working, and so um, you know, and 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 so I, I think that Fem Frontera, for me and and my wonderful staff, um, we are so aware of those experiences and how we, we tend to get left behind that I feel like our organization is constantly trying to pick up the fallen pieces and be like, we're here to support in any way that we can um, in, in ways where we know that you're not being listened to in ways that, that you feel invisible. Um, we're here to, to be the antithesis of that you know, and, and to support you in any way that we can. So it's, it's very important. Um, and it's, it's worked for us to sort of figure out how to provide a lot of these women with the resources and the support and, you know, the moral support that, that, that we need as female filmmakers. Um, but it's starting to get stronger and I'm starting to see a change. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that this community, both male and female are going to come together. Um, I would say in the next, you know, five-ish years, (laughs) it's going to be a little bit more um, collaborative in a good way. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And that's why I feel like what we do is so cool because um, we are as a team and as a community, because it's not only the staff and our board and our partners, but it's, it's, the Femme Frontera community that we've built, that is made up of all the filmmakers who've ever been in showcases, all the students who've ever taken our classes, um, up to anyone who's even submitted a film uh, to our showcase. You know, its we have a large community now that's really beautiful. And really, I mean, we've built this as a way to fill all those needs that just aren't here, you know, that aren't around. Um, And then to, you know, reach even further outside of our community and bring in people who aren't here, you know. Um, And this has been especially important for us with regards to um, trying to give a leg up to people from this region to tell stories about it. You know, there's a lot of people who I've met who are coming in from different parts of the country wanting to tell stories about issues that are happening here on the border. Um, There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. However, they're not really um, collaborating with folks who are in this community. And so you get a very outsider perspective, most often perspectives that aren't true at all to what life is really like in the region. Or that you know, or they aren't able to offer any nuances of what it's actually like to live in this community, um, and and you know, our reality is so much more complex than what's being shown on screen, and so it's so important, and that's part of why we exist. If not the sole reason that we exist, is to challenge a lot of the perspectives of what is coming out of our region. Um, you know the 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 various stories that are often one sided and a little too simplified, you know. And so um, that's that's also a need that we have. And and a lot of times too, you know, um, the the people who often get the grants to come out here, you know, to tell stories, they have more experience than maybe someone from this region. Um, but that shouldn't be a prerequisite to receive a grant to come out and tell stories about this region. You know, a prerequisite should be: Are you from that region? Do you know the day to day? Do you know the culture? Are you part of the culture? Um, those should be the qualifications. You know, skills can always be learned. You know, that's not a problem. But you can't teach someone overnight what it's like to to live in this reality day to day.
0: What are things that you're hopeful for um, in the shifts that you've seen happening?
3: Um, I see our filmmakers, our community of women filmmakers being included in a lot more conversations now, um, being included in crews, being made up of entire women crews. Um, we're no longer being questioned as much as we were. I'm just seeing them appear on film sets a lot more, and I'm also seeing them um, get hired more often. I mean, there's we're lucky that people from all over the country will send us emails asking us for crew in this area um, because they're coming down to shoot something or because they want to, you know, they want a representative from this region on their crew, um, and so we have a beautiful community from which to recommend, um, absolutely amazingly talented individuals. And so I'm starting to see that change. We're getting a lot more requests for for things like that. So, um, but I think within our region, I I see, you know, when we have our Pen Mixers, which is a day before the film festival, um, we invite all filmmakers of, you know, all genders and, all backgrounds and 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 I see there being more of a of a seamless collaboration between both. It's not always it's not anymore them versus us. It's it's more like, you know, there's more excitement in the air of of working together, of making this more of a tight knit unit. And I think that everyone is starting to see mutual benefits from working together rather than apart. So every year I see that a little bit more, and that's why I'm hopeful.
0: Another El Paso filmmaker who is closely working with Femme Frontera is Ileana Sosa, also someone whose work I admire and am lucky to call a friend. Ileana Sosa is a narrative and documentary filmmaker from El Paso, currently living and working in Austin. She just picture-locked her most recent documentary, Lo Que Dejamos Atrás, What We Leave Behind, which has been part of several filmmaking residencies and lab type programs throughout its development. She's got a ton of accolades. And honestly, I'm just trying to figure out how to pretend to be a UT student again so I can take her classes. The woman is visionary. You'll see. Yeah,
4: so I, um, so right now, part of the reason why I moved back to Austin was I um, took a job at UT Austin. It's like, it's a tenure track, Um assistant professor position, and it's my first dive into academia, because before that I was mostly doing freelance. And um, so now I'm in that world, which has been interesting. And um, and then before that, I, I was at, at L- in L.A. for about eight years and I went to film school out there and got my M.F.A. in directing at UCLA, um, which was also a very interesting experience. Um. And yeah, I mean, I, I love being back in Texas and it's really allowed me to make the con the films that I, that I want to make, um, funny enough, like I, I, I wasn't really making the stuff I wanted to make in LA.
0: Why, why do you think that is?
4: I think it was maybe just the pressure of like living in LA and always commuting to, you know, there's, it's, it's a lot, it's like the industry is always in your face, which, you know, for some people that works, but not for me, like you step into a coffee shop and people are talking about the about films, about this production, about this script, and it's always around you, but also the pressure of maybe having to be a certain way or make things in a certain way. Like I felt that a lot in LA, whereas I feel like in Texas and especially in Austin, I don't know, you know, especially when you're making documentary films and and indie stuff, you're not doing it for the money. You know, it's there's (laughs) you're doing it for the art form. And I feel like people in Texas and the community I've been able to surround myself with and I feel very grateful for people are doing it because they love it and they want to make they they, want to make the films they're making, not because, oh, I'm going to go and make a lot of money or win an award. It's like they're just passionate about it. So I have found that, that that was the difference I found. Not to say that that doesn't exist in LA, but for me, uh, it just felt very isolating, and um, and especially in film school, like I was the only Latina in this program in the grad program. Then you know they take 19 directors. I was the only Latina, and I just felt it was a big a bit of a culture shock. And you know I I don't know I. I I just feel more at home, obviously, in Texas, being born and raised there. So,
0: You mentioned the community that you surround yourself with. Can you talk more about that?
4: Yeah, I, um, you know, fortunately, so when I first arrived to Austin um, a few years ago, um, before that, I had been, I went to undergrad near Austin. So I've always been in and out of Austin for the last couple of years, but then I worked at the Austin Film Society back in 2015. And it was a very interesting place in the sense that I just got to know a bunch of people. Um, and I connected really well with, um, you know, this amazing filmmaker who were both have mutual friends, Chelsea Hernandez, and, and she was like my first introduction to like the Austin documentary scene. Um, And she had approached me um, when I was still working at AFS and was like, Hey, um, would you want to co-direct a documentary with me? And I was like, short. And I was like, Oh, sure. That, That sounds amazing. And it was called an uncertain future about these two women who happened to be pregnant during Trump's presidency, one is undocumented and the other one was married to someone who was undocumented at the time. I mean, that sounds amazing. And the, the kinds of issues that that short raises are things that I had been working on in film school about immigration and just social issues and all of that. So it was amazing to, to collaborate with her in that way. And I mean, now she's, you know, I'm collaborating with her on this other project, the omnibus project. And You know, she's now I mean, she's a a dear friend of mine, but also someone that I love to work with. And, you know, getting to meet her was sort of my my, it was my introduction to like the bigger, broader um, indie film community in Austin. And I just found what I discovered with working with her and with other filmmakers in Austin was like, I love working with people that I'm I also like to hang out with. From there, I was like, oh, I can make the content. I don't like to call it content but I I can make the films I want to make here in 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 my, in the state I grew up in I don't have to be in LA for what I mean sure it's great to to meet people and have connections and maybe meet uh, funders but honestly like I think you can make the the films that you want to make being here and and not having to be in LA or New York um, although the industries are there, but, you know, Austin has now a growing scene.
0: I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about this omnibus film you've talked about. What is the project? How did the idea come about? All of that.
4: I guess the best way to describe it is a anthology film um, that's being helmed by five Latina directors. And we're all telling our version of Texas, of how how it is to grow up here in our own language and from our hometowns and our perspectives. And I, um, you know, a few years ago, I, you know, i had been thinking about just films like Slacker or just, you know, these other uh, omnibus films. There's another one called Collective Unconscious that came out at South by a few years ago, and it and um, the 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 creator of that project. Um, picked few directors to direct each other's dreams. So, and I was like, wow, that's such a cool idea to do a feature, but, you know, as a collective and not just one director. And I thought, I don't know, I, somehow I was just started thinking, I was like, I'd love to see that but told from a Latina perspective and like having Latina directors, all women and why not like set in Texas and like us tell our stories because, you know, there's a lot of Latino content out there, but it's very typically told from like an LA perspective or growing up in LA or California. And we rarely see it from Texas. And it's very different. It's totally different point of view. And I was started thinking about the Latina filmmakers that I know and like respect and whose work I loved. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to just to all work together and make a feature and, so that's when I reached out to Chelsea Hernandez, um, Sharon Artiaga, and there's Lizette Barrera and Jasmine Diaz and all filmmakers whose work I just I, I really love and who I connected to through the Austin Film Society, because that's how I met Sharon. That's how I met Jasmine and Lizette was like watching their work through through that. I, I used to. Um, uh, review grants for AFS and do that and and so I'm that's how I met them and, and then saw their work and I was like wow these are brilliant women like I, I really think they have an interesting perspective I like their aesthetic they're super talented and I was like why don't we all just make a feature together and usually you know making a fiction feature is hard to get off the ground and and to have a feature under our belts like I think I thought I thought thought that idea was super intriguing because then, you know, ultimately, and I've talked to them, it's like we want to be making features, like not shorts anymore. Like we want to be in the feature world and maybe eventually directing for television. I was like, well, isn't this a way for us to have a feature under our belt and hopefully help each other, you know, um, segue into the next phase of our careers. And I I love the idea of collaborating um, with women that I love, but also like why not do it together instead of trying to work each of us individually on making a feature or on our own little shorts. It's like, isn't it, there's more power in numbers, honestly, and more brains, right? Like it's so why not do it in that way? And so they, I approached them individually and they were like, yeah, sure. Like, Great, so um, you know, it started off as this crazy idea and then, you know, COVID hit. And so all of last year and this year we've been doing Zoom meetings and workshopping our scripts. And, you know, we applied to a little grant, um, the Texas, uh, which one was it? The Boss Babes ATX grant and we got that. And it was just a big surprise. They were like, oh, cool. Like some funding to do a retreat to, to develop scripts. We applied to the AFS grant. So Kat Candler like approached us. It was like, hey, I want to help you guys like make this and be a mentor. And so she's a mentor now. And so is Aurora Guerrero. Elizabeth Avellan too, like helped us also. Like they've all been advocating the project. And it's just been really beautiful to see where it's turned into. And now it's a, we all have drafts. We'll probably shoot next year. We have funding now. We got a big grant. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, but I think we'll be soon. Um, so um, they gave us a pretty substantial grant that it's, we received it and now we we got to make it. Like I'm super excited um, and super thrilled. I just, I feel like, wow, it started as like this little idea, like wouldn't it be cool to bring together these group of women and make this. And now it's actually a a, I mean, it's a it's always been a real project, but it's like now we have funding to make it like execute it. And it feels so good to be back in the fiction world. Like I miss I miss fiction. And, you know, one of the directors, Chelsea Hernandez, this will be her first fiction, you know, dive into it, which is super exciting. So it just feels great to be able to um, work with with these women and like make this happen because I think that perspective hasn't been told yet like I don't I don't you know and it's sad to me that it's what 2021 we still we don't have something like that I mean there's shows coming out right there's shows like Vida and you have this you know female perspective coming out now this Latina female perspective but it's largely absent and told from a point from our point of view, and not by a male writer, like we're all, you know, we're, we're telling the stories from where we grew up, and and not not only is that important to us, but also hiring, like during production and posts, like people of color, like being intentional about who we're hiring, below the line, but also who are we bringing into the fold into this, so that's that's the spirit of the project and and uh hopefully we can carry it through <laughs>
0: wow that is that is so badass i feel like i tell y'all this all the time but like this is such a special thing and i hope you know that <laughs> i know it's real easy to get all caught up in the like we got to do the grants we got to write the drafts and all of that stuff but like this is a cruel like a really cool thing
4: <laughs> yeah i think so and i mean but it makes it cool too is who's part of it and i feel like Everyone like who is part of it is is forging their own path and making their own history and in their own families in their own way, like you know a few of us are like first generation and also like not I mean you know we're not a typical not to say every filmmaker comes from money or like you know, but it's like not I think we're breaking breaking the mold in many ways, not only by this project but also professionally by who we are, what we stand for. So that's what's exciting about it too. And I hope people, you know, it resonates with people. I think the stories are pretty cool. And um, yeah, I'm just hoping that it, um, I mean, it's also interesting that it's like multiple people. So they're like creatively too, like it's, you know, it's it's quite the undertaking because it's not just, there's a lot, you know, when we have to compromise but also collaborate and listen to each other. So it's, it's a good, uh, yeah it's learning how to communicate but also work as a team and get something like this off the ground yeah it's uh I think production was going to be quite (laughs) interesting but um it's been a, like honestly this project during COVID has been like my saving grace it just really grounded me and um I don't want to speak for all everyone on, on but I knew for me it was just like It was something really beautiful to look forward to every week and be like, oh, I'm going to chat with these filmmakers and talk about our stories or just, I don't know, and just, or just vent about how we were all feeling. And it's just been really a healing project and one that I'm really grateful for just to be part of because, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I mean, as you know, last year was, was really hard. So it was nice to have that like stability in one way.
0: The project's working title is Untitled Texas Latina Project and has received multiple grants to date. They are currently in the running for the 2021 SF film Rain In grant, so let's keep our fingers crossed. Also, Yen Tan is also in the running for that one, so cheering him on, too. Ileana mentioned the various women working on that project, one of them being Chelsea Hernandez, who she attributes to welcoming her into the Austin film scene. Chelsea is a filmmaker based in Austin, and her most recent documentary, Building the American Dream, is Emmy-nominated. I talked with her specifically about female filmmaker-focused groups, so we won't dive too deep into her career. But if that's what you're aching for after hearing this interview, I have good news for you. Shameless plug number two, enter stage left. Chelsea was the very first guest on the Creatives Potluck podcast, My Podcast Baby. And I do an in-depth interview with her about how she started and her career as a filmmaker. Highly recommend you check that one out for sure. Here's Chelsea talking about what groups focused on female filmmakers mean to her. Can you talk about why the Hanasen Film was started and why it's an important space for filmmakers?
5: Sure. So I became a member of this Facebook a private group called Brown Girls Doc Mafia. This is like back in 2015, I think no one really knew about it. And somehow it popped up on my Facebook feed. Um, and I joined it not knowing too much about it. I think at the time there was only like 500 members. Um, but it, uh it was a, a safe space for uh women of color who were filmmakers and um you know that term has since like expanded into LGBTQ plus non-binary and um you know what does brown girls mean and um and it's really a place for people to uplift each other, to um network, to share job postings um to share rough cuts anything creative like an in, in, in anything dealing with um, the documentary industry specifically um you can you can chat about you can share things on there but it was also like a private Facebook group so people could have you know more um intimate conversations about the inequities of women of color filmmakers in the documentary industry and it was just really, nice to have that. um, Considering there was, I felt like I was going through so much of these, like inequalities, just myself, you know, in Texas, and then to see the same stories pop up with other people, unfortunately, but um, because I was seeing that they were going through it too, I didn't feel alone. And I was like, oh, OK, so it's not me, like me personally, you know, it's the fact that there's these inequalities happening to women of color in our industry Um, and so then it was great to, you know, seek advice from people about what to do if we, you know, if you encountered some sort of situation. And I feel like at the time I was just encountering situations with, um, white people a lot. And I wasn't sure if it was because of race or, or, or just me. And I realized in, you know, being a part of this group that it was, um, you know, the inequalities of underrepresented people in the industry. And then I realized, like, you know, what would be cool is if we had the same thing, but specific to Texas um, filmmakers, because I was also realizing through this group, I was meeting more, um, more people in Texas who were women, who were women of color, And I was like, it would be really great if we could have our own like safe space um, to talk about things that are specific to Texas that we're dealing with. Because even though Texas is a very big state, um, it's still a very small industry. It's kind of the same small group of people as well and so it would be nice to just have a safe space to be able to speak up about things and to also like just share job po i mean i've it's such a big deal to be able to have access to uh job positions on different shoots you know I, it really is about like who you know and when Our industry is just like a bro culture where it's just like, I'm bringing my buds on to this film. Like, it's really difficult to like get your foot in the door. So that was another reason behind creating TIFF2 is to be able to share these resources because, you know, everyone talks about Texas being the third coast, but I really feel like it's not, it's barely there. Um, The resources are still in LA. They're still in New York. Um, And if we can like bring those resources here to Texas and we can have access to them, then hopefully we can, you know, elevate each other and our voices and our stories into, you know, the overall industry.
0: How has Tejanas in film been helpful for you and how have you seen it evolve over time?
5: I think one of the hardest things at being like a Latina in the industry is like that hustle you have to continue to do. And there's so much juggling Um, I continue to like, not figure out the work life balance thing at all. I've kind of given up. (laughs) But um, it's, uh, you know, that that's what's really hard about starting groups like this is like, if you don't have any money, it's still like a side gig sort of. Um, But what I have realized is that people um needed it and they needed this space and they needed people and like what you've started too with the cafecitas like meeting every Sunday, like and people just getting together to speak about what they're working on and see if any it piques anyone's interest. Like just having that space and that time to share that with other people that you don't know who are just like you um who are working up in the industry as well. Like it, like people want that and they really need it, you know, and it's just really good for the soul. So I've just like, I've been a little hands off lately, but um, what I love seeing is just like people sharing resources, people collaborating, hearing new projects that they're working on, being able to go to people, you know, go to the group and ask for help on anything else. Um, and it's just, it's really invigorating to see that there are a lot of us like working in the field too and it just blows my mind seeing these like the u the usc annenberg like study about women in media and how latinas are like i don't know like barely, you know three percent you know working in the industry um and it's like, but we're here like we are totally here, you know um so just being inspired by people and hoping and I w- what I can do too is like help uplift others too and spread their projects and try to get them in touch with others like that to me is really fulfilling just like, helping others with connections that maybe they don't have and then um, just supporting them by going to their films or telling people about their films.
0: So you you mentioned, um, you know, that you or you talk about inequalities. Uh, You've mentioned that several times. Can you talk a bit about those specifically for latina specifically here in texas and i know that your uh kind of vantage point is from the documentary space but also um kind of expanding out of that and being able to observe through the group and and all of that like what are what are your observations from that perspective
5: Yeah, I think it's really a lack of resources, or a lack of or or not having access to the resources, you know, and like I mentioned, like, it is still this bro, like culture in the industry where people just hire their buds to work on these films. And, Um, I think that is a huge inequality to people who are trying to work up the ladder and trying to get into these spaces. And when you don't open up to, um, you know, specific groups of people, like when you don't target, you know, the Black community, the Latinx community, the Asian American community, like you are missing out on talent, you know, and uh, hard workers and just, extreme passion, you know. Um and and I think in Texas like you have to be you have to like reach out to those communities even more. Like you do have to work harder because the film industry is just like very very white in Texas, you know. Um and and you know, it has it has progressed, you know, some over the past couple years, I think. The summer of 2020 definitely made people think a little bit more, Um, but until we see, you know, like all the, um, you know, um, grant recipients for the Austin Film Society, uh, Texas Grant, Be All People of Color, like, you know, um, then I'm not sure it's like changed much, you know, um, I think we're going down the right path, but it's, it's going to take a while to like change. Um, so it's really just like having access to those resources that I think um, is the biggest inequality um, in being a person of color, um, especially in Texas, where we don't have the, the financial capital or resources like LA and New York, um, or even, like, New Mexico, you know, where, like, Netflix is. Um, so it's it's just about, like, working a little bit harder here. And I feel like, um, yeah, I I've also... And this is, like, just my personal experiences. I feel like I grew up not, you know... I grew up made to think, like, you shouldn't ask for things, you know? And so I never really tried to push my way into doors, or ask if I can, like, open some doors. And I think that may have, you know, set me back some. And now I have realized that, yeah, like, a lot of white people just bust through doors. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm now realizing like I can do that too. I'm going to knock down the door also, you know. Um I do have a voice and I want to share it and I'm going to knock down the stand door.
0: And knock down the door she does. Full disclosure, I'm on the steering committee of the and film, so obviously have a bias here. But of course, I'm going to take the opportunity to spotlight my friends when they deserve it, right? Speaking of, I do think I should shout out Sharon Afdiaga here, too. Hi, Sharon. Because she is the third person on the steering committee making TIFF super valuable and a great place for Tejana filmmakers. Okay, third plug. While I'm here, Sharon, Chelsea, and I started a watch-along podcast last year about Selena the series on Netflix. Yes, we watched all of the episodes, and yes, we talk about all of them. Don't ask me if I like it or not. You're just going to have to listen to the podcast. It's called Tiff Voices, the Selena the Series edition, and you can listen to it anywhere you get your pods. Also, Sharon was on the Creatives Potluck, too, so there's that. Okay, that's enough. Stop asking me. Okay, we've got one more person to talk to today, and that's Laura Kincaid. You may know her from the ATX TV Festival or formerly of the Texas Film Commission. If not either of those, then likely Austin Women Film, a casual happy hour
6: for women who are working in film. So I before I worked at ATX, I worked at the Texas Film Commission for, oh, my goodness, um, like nine and a half years. And I was an intern before that. So, you know, deep roots there. Um, and I loved it. It was it was one of those jobs that I would have never known about had I not stumbled upon this internship. You know, there's just so many support services and things surrounding film. Um, I went to UT film school, but immediately knew I would make a terrible filmmaker. Like, that was not my life. Um, I love to be bossy, but, like, don't want to be in charge of a film set. Like, that's not my level of bossiness. So uh, it became sort of film support services sort of things. And uh, what I did at the Film Commission focused mainly around our marketing efforts, which really... Involved film festivals, nonprofits, um, community organizers, like people around the state who were trying to create that film community, and I would just kind of talk through pe- people through things, which I loved. That's that's the level of what telling people I, I want to do, like consulting, as opposed to being in charge of a film set. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was at the Texas Film Commission, uh, we did have a women-centric film organization in Austin called Real Women, R E E L Women. Um, that had been around for a really long time and ended up sort of disbanding, I want to say 2010. So they disbanded and it was definitely a space that I think a lot of people really wanted to have filled. And so we had uh, two sort of like ladies groups pop up, Uh, Maya Perez and Kat Candler each sort of took on one like once every six months, like I think Maya organized the first one at the Driscoll. I could get this wrong, might've been Kat, but one of the ladies organized like this big Driscoll meeting where it was kind of like, it's a Saturday, invite every woman, you know, who works in film, we'll all meet at the Driscoll. So I went to that first one and was like, well, this is great. And then when the second one rolled around, when either Maya or Kat was like, we're going to do it again, went to the second one. And I was like, well, this is great again. And I, so I asked both of them, I was like, hey, are you okay if I take this on in a very informal way? They were both okay with it. And so I organized Austin Women Film, which is in the loosest sense, a you know community organization. Like it, it doesn't have any membership dues. Uh, there's not a website, although I did at one point have great designs on making it sort of a bigger organization. Um, but it really just takes a lot of work. So the whole driving force for me was like, uh, less organization, more community. So there's nothing to sign up for. It was, it is based all on Facebook. It is completely a like show up and meet people sort of organization. So the pandemic really squashed it. So it's not gone, but it's been on a pandemic hiatus um, whilst, you know, everyone's in their homes. Um, But it was just something that I felt really strongly about because I loved those two original meetings so much And it's, it had less to do with me needing to make connections and me really enjoying having other people make connections and being able to be the, the space creator for something like that. It's very casual. It's very casual organization. Um, because like I mentioned, like actual support organizations with infrastructure and like, that's a lot of work, but so the first couple were just folks I know, which was lovely. So after It kind of started to get a little bigger after the first couple, like, honestly, just Facebook sharing. People like things on Facebook and you would create a Facebook event and people would come and it would sort of ebb and flow. So most of the folks that I know are in that film support service role. So a lot of festival folks, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of those folks. So I think the first time we had a woman who came and she was like a camera operator and she was like, where are my other camera operators? And I was like, not here, but... I can find them for you. I know where the are like, and we can get them. Like we can still get you connected. I was like, but your production ladies, unfortunately are not here yet, but don't worry. Um, so it definitely was not really production focused. And I, it's just cause that's not where my immediate contacts lie, but it started to occasionally get that way. I, it's just, it's just so fun and nice and it's a nice way to see people and form connections and some, Some connections have been tighter than others. Some people I'll see once and I never see again. But I mean that's kind of the film festival, like film production world, right? Like some people you end up working with over and over again and you form that connection and hopefully like you know work with them again. And some people you're just like, you're really cool. Wish you luck. Hurrah. Best of luck. So I think if nothing else, like just the fact that so many of my contacts in film were women. Um, like all of my really close friends who were in kind of the nonprofit festival world were almost all women, you know, plenty of amazing male friends, but a lot of ladies and all of our bosses were were women. So at the time, uh, the film commission, the Texas film commission had a female boss, uh, you know, AFS, South by AFF, like all the kind of like film support services in town all had female bosses. And yet there was all this like talk about, I feel like I would run into people at festivals, women would run into women at festivals. And they'd be like, I just like, am really tired of working with men. It's the, like, I know people are out there, but I don't know how to find them. And I mean, as we get older, literally just like making a new friend is aggressively hard. So it's, I think occasionally easier for folks to make a new professional contact. Cause you've got kind of that mission. It's a little bit hard, hard, less hard than making a new friend, but it's just so much easier if there's, like, a space to do that in. I genuinely, I think it was just, like, meeting new people, meeting new female filmmakers who just expressed a wish to meet more female filmmakers. I don't think anyone didn't think that, like, everybody wasn't out there, but it was like, how do, how do I find them? You know, so just yeah. create a little happy hour where maybe you have, like, a better chance of finding somebody you want to hang out with and, and know and work with.
0: What are your thoughts on just... Texas film production in general?
6: I love Texas so much. I really do. Like, we as a state have lots of problems, but it's also such an amazing state filled with like really amazing people. And I love that we have such a like deep history of film and production history here. And I I just think that's like so amazing um, there's so much that Texas has to offer simply because we are super, um, large. It's so interesting, especially not ever wanting to be a filmmaker, but I feel like the diversity of locations and the look and the feel that you can actually get here is just so amazing. And I don't even have an eye for it, but like just the way that you can get, like, any creative vision, you can kind of coax it out of the state, which I think is so incredibly cool. And if you're working in places around the state, you're hope, you're more than likely working with just like amazing people. So either the crew, like the people who know exactly what they're doing, and they're like super amazing, crazily professionals who can really m- MacGyver anything too. Texans are scrappy. We're very talented and we're scrappy. And so there's that level of like get her done. That's super great. Um, but also just like the communities around Texas, like there's just such excitement for production and film and media industry and like being able to work with all of the amazing like city contacts and county contacts, I think just like creates like such a like a, a beautiful package to like make your creative vision happen.
0: I don't know how else to say it, people. We need spaces like this to be able to find support in the industry. Because those of us in systemically excluded groups are subjected to workplace hazards like sexism and racism with little help from those in charge. There's no quote-unquote HR in charge of accountability or determining the parameters for maternity leave. All that stuff is left up to us to figure out on our own. So why not help each other out and share resources and the occasional vent session? (laughs) I know it's changed my life to be able to lean on women in times where I felt alone and to be able to provide that support to others is invaluable. Something that I think is really important to acknowledge is the fact that traditionally women-focused groups don't come without their own criticisms, right? There are many instances where non-binary people are not included, where trans people are not included where queer people of color are not included. So definitely want to just acknowledge that, you know, while groups are meant to be, you know, inclusive and, you know, a space that welcomes everyone, that's not necessarily the case in reality and where we are with feminism today. So something to acknowledge, something to keep top of mind as we continue to evolve what groups look like. Thanks to Gail Cronauer, Stephanie St. Sanchez, Angie Rosaturas, Ileana Sosa, Chelsea Hernandez, and Laura Kincaid for contributing to this episode. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at S Ray Lopez, that's S R A E L O P E Z, and follow Hyperreal Film Club on Instagram at hyperrealfilmclub, Film Club or at the website hyperrealfilm.club. Thanks for listening to episode 9 of Hyperreal Film Club presents Texas Film in Focus. Stay tuned for the next one where I'll talk to more people about another aspect of why Texas is such a vibrant film community that breeds great stories and highly skilled talent. Texas Film in Focus is produced and hosted by me, Samantha Ray Lopez. Our editor slash sound designer is Laura Rivero. And our podcast admin assistant is Chloe Carcamel. Special thank you to Hyperreal Film Club for letting me do whatever I want, and of course, the Texas Commission on the Arts.